I want to admit something to you I'm not proud of, but I want to be uh, able to admit something. Shortly after I arrived in the Bahamas about five plus years ago, I was at a certain business. It was inundated with customers. I was one of those customers. And what was happening was, frankly, very inefficient, and people were getting out of place in line. And uh, it was taking an awful long time to get the order that I had placed, and so it was taking that time for others. And I need to admit that I had a bad attitude, and I guess it got to be showing. And there was a person I'd never met who was a customer waiting for the same things I was waiting for. And we struck up a conversation and, and um, came about you know, why I'm in the Bahamas. And I uh, kind of sheepishly said, because I'm the new pastor at Calvary Bible Church, and I knew I hadn't been behaving uh, that well. I don't think it was terrible, but it wasn't the best of behavior, uh, negative talk on my part and criticism. And he, he said something that really took me back. He said, um, he looked at me with a pleasant look on his face. He said, expect better of yourself. <laughs> uh, don't stoop to complaining in your attitude like the others around you. And then he said, you know, you're better than that. Well, you know what? It really took me back, and I thanked him, and I thought, silent. I said, you know, I am better than my behavior, not because of me, but because of Christ. Because of Christ, I should have been better than my behavior. And, uh, but for the grace of God, I could be otherwise. Hebrews 6, 9 to 12 teach us that there are very specific ways that we can make our hope sure, that we can make our hope in salvation sure and obvious. And last time in verses 7 to 10 of chapter 6, we learned that two of the better things which we can expect of ourselves and which we also can expect of other Christians and which heaven expects of all Christians, two of those better things are, number one, being useful to God every day, and number two, working hard for God every day. Those were two practical ways that we saw in the text that we can make our salvation hope sure. Now today we come back to three more better things to expect of ourselves and better things to expect of other brothers and sisters in Christ and better things that God Almighty who saved us expects of us if we are Christians. Three more things. And they are, by way of preview, number one, love things. Number two, servant things. And number three, diligent things. So I want to take these with you one by one. And in order to get a context of what I'm reading, I want you to go in chapter 6 of Hebrews to back to verse 4. I'm going to do this so that we can remember that verses 4 through 8 address apostates who originally left the church that was the recipient of the epistle to the Hebrews. These guys and gals were not truly saved. They knew all about Christ. They got to the edge of accepting him as Lord and Savior, but they didn't cross that line of unbelief to belief. And they were apostate. And they wound up leaving that church because the persecution turned up the heat. So verses 4 to 8, as I read them, that is a warning to apostates, not to true Christians. I also want to remind you that when I get to verse 9, we're going to together see that God begins to steer the genuine, truly saved believers in Christ, the Jesus followers. So the first, four through eight, apostates. 
Verse 9, beginning to talk to true Christians who first read the epistle to the Hebrews. Reading at verse 4, Hebrews 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Verse 7. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful for those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So that's, these are the verses talking to apostates. Now we switch to addressing true Christians. Verse 9. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. So with the truth of verse 9, we begin with the text to consider the better things that we ought to expect of ourselves since we're saved, and the better things that we can expect of other believers since they're saved, and to understand the things that God in heaven who saved us expects for us that are better things. And these better things, when they are part of our lives, when they are shown by our lives, these things make our hope sure to us and make our hope sure to others who are watching us. And the first additional better thing that we see in the text for today is in verse 10, and it's something I'm calling love things. Love things. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love, there it is, the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. This is agape love, the highest order of love, God's kind of love. And this kind of agape love that we are to exhibit as a better thing in our Christian lives is not a feeling. It is rather a choice. This kind of agape loving is a choice to sacrificially give to meet the needs in the one who we love and then to make those sacrifices for their betterment. And so we come to see in other scriptures that this agape loving, this better thing that God expects of us as his children, has so much hanging on it. For instance, in John chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples and by extension to you and me. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, interjection, by this loving, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this is clearly a command of Christ to us as his followers to love each other. It's a command. And Jesus Christ, in this pair of verses, went so far as to say that loving one another as Christians is proof that we are followers of Jesus. You know what the corollary, the uh, contrast to that is? 
that if we do not love one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, then those who watch us have every reason to say that you're not authentic Jesus followers. Ouch. So, so much is hanging on this better thing called loving that we are commanded to do. Uh, in 1 John 4, 78, we see more of this, the weightiness of this loving, this better thing called loving. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So much is hanging on this better thing that is expected of us called loving. So much is hanging on it. And uh, we, the Bible says if we don't love others in the church, then it means we really don't love God. That's how much is hanging on this better thing called loving that heaven expects of all Christians. And we ought to expect of ourselves. Will you please notice, going back to Hebrews 6, verse 10, I'll read it again. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Will you notice from this verse uh, that it says, and the love which you have shown. Agape love, need-meeting love, is visible. It's shown. It's not talked about emptily. It's done. And so I need to say at this point that we all know that some labor or some work is just labor and work. And some love is just love. But when the Lord isn't in the middle of the working or of the loving, then the working and the loving does not have any eternal impact. But in contrast, when we work for God and we love because of God and we do so because we want to advance the name of God, the plan of God, the gospel of God, then the Lord God doesn't forget that work of love. And according to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 14, the Lord actually re rewards such working and such loving. Think of it. He commands us to do it. He gives us the grace and the Holy Spirit enablement to do it. And then when we do it, he's so gracious even to reward us for doing it. Amazing Savior. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 14 read, Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, that is after the fire, going back to the text, he shall receive reward. In Canada, we often sang a little chorus that I never heard sung in America in the church I was in. I haven't heard it sung here in the Bahamas, but often in Canada, we sang a little chorus called Cups of Cold Water. And in part, the chorus goes like this. Healing the widows and orphans in their needs, healing the sick ones and binding hearts that bleed, feeding the hungry, this we must surely do. By this we serve him and demonstrate his love. 
Cups of cold water given in Jesus' name. Cups of cold water are never given in vain. Someday in heaven, when we meet the Lord, each deed of kindness will bring a rich reward. And so it is true. And so going back to Hebrews 6, 9 and 10, please. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love with which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Yes. So, so far, to recap a little bit, we've seen that there, there are certain kinds of things that are deemed by God to be better things which ought to accompany our salvation. And so far, we have seen in the passage that God expects better things that are useful. God expects better things that are working. God expects better things that are loving. Well, there are more better things in the text that God expects and we ought to expect of ourselves and other Christians. And the next one is servant things. Servant things or serving things. Verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. The ministered and the ministering is the serving, the uh, serving. So back then, the saints that originally read the epistle to the Hebrews, they were believers in Jesus Christ who came out of Judaism, who were intensely persecuted for doing so, and they desperately needed the basics of life, like food, water, shelter, safety, money, fellowship, and the parchment scriptures. They needed these basic things desperately because they'd been cut off from their Jewish families that were persecuting them. And so back then, as still today, ministry was serving and ministry continues to be serving. Ministry is serving. Ministry is serving. Not a title or a parking space. Not a robe or a collar. Ministry is serving. Ministering is serving God and persons. It's that simple. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself set the pace for this when he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And certainly none of us are greater than our master and savior. And if he was servant to all, then we must be servants to all as well. I've told you before, but Dawson Trotman, who founded the parachurch ministry called The Navigators, was asked on a radio phone-in show, how do you know if you're a servant? And his answer was unforgettable. He said, by how you react when someone treats you like one. That's the truth. The way I react when someone treats me like I am their servant tells me and them whether I am in a posture of being a servant or not. And so it is for you. When we are truly saved, we serve the needs of others. And all believers of all ages 
All who are saved are to serve the needs of others. Parents, are you teaching your young children to serve others? They're not going to learn it from anyone better than you as a Christian parent. All the saved are to serve the needs of others. You, viewer, if you know Christ as Savior, you are to serve the needs of others. And you can do that in this pandemic. You can share your faith on the phone. You can pray with other believers on the phone. There are ways to serve Christ in the pandemic. And heaven, God in heaven, expects that you and I will be voluntary servants, not above any job. The old adage that I don't hear around the church like I did when I was a young Christian is and was saved to serve. Saved to serve. That's true. You know what it is for a lot of evangelical Christians now? Saved to spectate. (laughs) They don't see themselves as being saved to serve anybody or anything. They see themselves as being saved to spectate other people serving in the church. Verse 10, Hebrews 6.10, is a verse which I often use to sign off on my personal thank you cards, which I write to others who have done something nice for me. And it's a fitting verse, 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love with which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Well, you notice that in that one verse is work and love and ministering. These are all better things that are expected of us by God. Better things we ought to expect of ourselves because we're saved. Work, love, ministering. God expects that these are part of the daily habits, disciplines, goals, activities of our Christian lives. And so, to review, so far we've seen in these verses a few better things which will make our hope sure. Better things, when we live them, will make our hope in salvation more sure to us and more sure to others who watch us. Those are useful things, work things, love things, and servant things. And all of these things, these are better things that are to come out of our salvation, pop out of our salvation, much like a cork pops to the surface in a swimming pool. You can only hold a cork down underwater. You have to hold it, but when you let it go, it pops up. And these things ought to pop up in our Christian lives. They're the better things that are expected of us, that the Holy Spirit's been given to us so that we can do to God's glory. There's one more better thing that we are to expect of ourselves because we're saved and God expects of us since we're saved, and it is diligent things. In verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Diligent things are better things expected of us. And I want to say three things about verse 11 to do with diligence. Number one, diligence can be spotty in a church. Hit or miss. Number two, diligence should be unanimous in a church. All hands on deck. Third, diligence contributes to
to one's assurance of one's salvation. I know I'm saved because I have this bent, this inclination, this desire to serve, which I didn't have before I was saved. So let's consider these three things about diligence very quickly. Number one, diligence can be spotty in a church. You see it in verse 11, the very first part, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. You know why that had to be written? Because some of the readers weren't showing diligence. But the desire of the Holy Spirit and the writer of the Hebrews said, I want you all to be diligent, and he had to say it because diligence was spotty in the church to whom he wrote, and diligence remains spotty in this church and other churches down all these centuries later. Every church, you see, including our church, has some very diligent and some somewhat diligent and some barely diligent believers. And unless the Holy Spirit of God makes it otherwise, our flesh can render us either lazy or with a good enough is good enough attitude in our service to Christ. I think of the true story, true story of the lady who phoned the 1-800 number on her turkey that, you know, the turkey manufacturer has a 1-800 number about how to cook it and different things. She phones the 1-800 number, and this is what she asked. She said, is a turkey still good to eat after being frozen 23 years? Seriously. <laughs> and they said, well, I suppose if, you know, if the freezer burn isn't just rendering it useless, I guess you could eat it. She goes, oh, good, I donated it to my church. Diligence in any church can be spotty. Secondly, diligence should be unanimous in a church. That's what is being driven at here in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. The desire, the will of God, was that the first church receiving this epistle and our church receiving this epistle in 2020, that we would be unanimous in our diligence in serving Jesus Christ. It says in the part verse, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. You know, it's an absolutely gorgeous thing when every believer in a group of believers carries out his or her ministry with diligence. I've been privileged to go to um, John MacArthur's church in Southern California in L.A. for a pastor's conference. They do a wonderful pastor's conference each year. And I was there this one year, and just the way they blessed these uh, couple thousand pastors who were there was incredible. They had one place over there. They gave free haircuts to the pastors just to encourage them, bless them. And they had over here, they had a shoe shine set up where the pastors could go and just get their shoes shined as a, a treat. And uh, I was sitting in the chair for a shoe shine, and there was a nice Asian, handsome Asian man, probably in his early 30s. And we got talking, and he was shining my shoes, and we got talking about his life and my life. And I said, by the way, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I'm a prosecuting attorney for the county of Los Angeles. And I take this week off every year because I love serving the pastors from around the world who come to this conference. The prosecuting attorney for the county of Los Angeles taking his vacation to polish my shoes. 
gorgeous. Or I think of uh, my situation in Pennsylvania. My office was uh, near the main entry door of the church, and through my window I could see the saints coming into the building through the main entryway. And this one particular winter um, Sunday, I saw a man coming up that I'd never seen before. I knew that. And they were trying to deal with the snow and the slippery ice on the sidewalk that led into the church building. And this person I had never laid eyes on before in my life, he was insisting to take the ice chopper, a long-handled ice chopper, from a young, younger boy that didn't know how to use it. And so this first-time visitor to our church took the ice chopper from the young boy who didn't know how to use it, and he chopped away all the ice on the sidewalk to make it safe for everybody else who came to church. First-time visitor, gorgeous, diligent work for Jesus Christ. And we all can show diligence in what we do, um, probably more so after the COVID, um, the COVID uh, pressures are relieved down the road, whenever that would be. But we all can still show diligence in our service. I mean, sanitizing the church and preparing communion elements or examples or running the video cameras and the sound board or filling the sanitizing stations with sanitizing gel or paying the church's bills on time or vacuuming these nice carpets or keeping the washrooms clean and stocked or counting the tithes and the offerings in a responsible way or tidying the pews up. These are all ways that we can serve Christ with diligence. I saw a little short video clip on Facebook of a, of a man, a believer in Christ, in a wheelchair. And he was vacuuming the carpet in the sanctuary of his church. Can't walk. But he's pushing around this upright vacuum in his wheelchair, wheeling himself around in his wheelchair, vacuuming the church. <laughs> Brought a tear to my eye. Or I think of our own sweet and so well-loved uh, Crystal Underwood with her physical challenges. And her, but the, the legacy of love and service for Jesus Christ with excellence in the, in the cubbies in Iwana and VBS and Sunday school, how she loves the children and has diligence in serving Jesus by serving them. Brings a tear to my eye. And so diligence can be spotty in a church. Diligence can be unanimous in a church. And diligence contributes to one's assurance of one's salvation. Aren't sure if you're saved? Are you being diligent in serving God? One of the ways that if you are truly saved, you can be assured that you are truly saved is start getting diligent and serious about serving God and working for God. That's what it says. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as, so as to realize the full assurance of hope. <laughs> if you work and serve Jesus Christ with diligence, you'll realize a full assurance of hope in your salvation. But the corollary and the contrastive is also true. If you are not diligently serving Jesus Christ and working for his cause, you're going to lack assurance. You're not going to feel saved. You're not going to feel a part of the the body of believers that are working for Christ. 
Diligence feeds the assurance and the certainty of being saved. And the opposite is also true. Slackness erodes the assurance and certainty of being saved. I've used this illustration before. Come August, uh, soon, early August, Beth and I will have enjoyed 37 years of being married. We are happily married. I can't think of a happier man on earth than me. This gold wedding ring reminds me that I'm married to Beth. If I am slack and I am not diligent in the things associated with being married, I'm going to feel less and less married. If I stop spending time with Beth, if I stop talking to Beth, if I stop listening to her, if I stop kissing her and holding her hand, if I stop, start breaking my promises to her, if I stop asking for her opinion, etc., if I stop treating her like my queen, if I don't encourage her and I don't compliment her, and I, if I refuse to forgive her, and if you refuse to ask her to forgive me, I'm going to feel less and less and less married, although I am married. And verse 12 calls this lack of diligence being sluggish, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Less than diligent husbands, listen to me, less than diligent husbands are sluggish and they become uncertain and short on hope. But similarly, less than diligent Christians are sluggish too and they become uncertain and short on their hope. The Greek word nothros literally means lazy, slothful. That is lying around as a couch potato and not being productive. When a believer in Christ is lazy and unwilling to work for the Savior, unwilling to be productive in what God says he should be productive in, then that believer will usually lack hope. And sometimes that chronic lack of hope will even eat away to a lack of assurance of even being saved. I know that because I've met plenty of Christians who have fallen to that place. Verse 12, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So just very quickly, to flip it, I gave you a negative example of me in my marriage potentially. Let me give you a positive example. If I spend time with Beth, talk to her, listen to her, kiss her, hold her hand, keep my promises to her, ask her for her opinion, dream and plan with her, treat her as my queen, encourage and compliment her, forgive her when she needs forgiveness, and ask for her forgiveness when I need forgiveness. When I do those things and I'm not sluggish, but diligent, I feel more married. And I have much more hope for our marriage. And so I hope you get the point. In marriage as in salvation, diligence leads to assurance of hope and slackness leads to a lack of assurance of hope. The title for this message is Make Your Hope Sure, which is encouraging because when we're told make your hope sure, it's really saying you can make your hope sure. It's in your power by your choices to make your hope in salvation sure. That's a good thing. And how does that work? Simple. According to this text, five better things. Chase, live, exhibit five better things. Useful things. Work things. Love things. Servant things. Diligent things. Don't be slack 
or sluggish. The church of Jesus Christ has enough slack Christians. The church of Jesus Christ has enough sluggish Christians. Don't be that way. Instead, imitate believers around you who are useful, who are hardworking for Christ, who are loving with Jesus' love, who are serving for Jesus' glory, and who are diligent in all of it. And choose faith. And choose patience. You know, this is how we live in sharp contrast to the apostates. And this is how we make our hope sure. Let us pray. Lord, it's so gracious of you to reveal to us in your word your expectations when we are saved, that we would have better things to be true of us. Oh, God, may they be true. May we live them. May we uh, do so when people are watching. May we do so when people are not watching. And, Lord, we want to have an assurance of our salvation because we are expressing and living the better things that are expected of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, amen.